Well, good morning. I'm actually really glad that uh, we got to segue into the sermon. Um, well, one, by talking about Lottie Moon, but also talking about be- these boxes. Um, we have been in a sermon series called What's in a Name? And what a cool way to get to look at the ways that God is using us to provide for other people. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at Jehovah Jireh, God that provides. And I just think that is perfect for us to get to talk about the ways that God uses us to provide for other people. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, if you haven't gotten to get your boxes in, um, want to have any questions about Lottie Moon, ask Alex, ask Nikki, ask myself. We would love to tell you about that. Um, before we go into Jehovah Jireh, I need to uh, just kind of appreciate Alex and the worship team. Man, what a great job this morning. Uh, I love that last song, Worthy Your Name. I've been singing it since we started this sermon series. Um, Part of Alex's ministry is to lead us here on Sunday mornings, but part of his ministry, I think, is also to keep songs stuck in my head throughout the week. And so he'll come in and my you are and I'm like, would you quit? I'm going to be singing it all week. But what a cool, I've been thinking for three and a half weeks now, because he continues to sing that song in the office, oh God, you are worthy of your name, you are Yahweh, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. You are, you are El Shaddai, like we talked about last week. You are God Almighty. Um, and I'm super excited this morning to get to talk to you about Jehovah Jireh. So I have a lot of information this morning. I know that I am against the clock, not only the clock at the back of the room, but also the turkeys in the kitchen. I've been smelling them all morning. You can smell them. And in a minute, Brandon Woods is going to come in here and start wafting turkey fumes in here if I don't hurry. So um, let's go ahead and begin. We're going to go right into Scripture. As we read about Jehovah Jireh this morning, we're going to break it down. Brian always says he has three, four, usually three because he's a Baptist preacher, truths, right? We're going to ask questions about Jehovah Jireh. We have a couple of questions that we're going to talk about as we read. If you're a note taker, I will say, hey, this is a question, and you write it down, right? Kara, I'm looking at you. I know you're a note taker, okay? Uh, You can write that down and you will follow with me that way. But if you would, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to read the entirety of it. It'll be on the screen if you don't have it in front of you. Genesis chapter 22, it's kind of a famous passage, um, but it's one that I want us to pay careful attention to today um, because I want us to come away with some of God's characters that we may not have seen before out of it. So in verse 1 it says, After these things, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered, take your son, he said, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Verse 3, Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkeys, took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to the young men, You stay here with the donkey, the boy, and I will go over and worship. Then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham, and he said, My father, and he answered, replied, or he replied, Here I am, my son. And Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked on together. In verse 9 it says, When they arrived at the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. 
But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, Here I am. Then he said, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by the thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place, The Lord Will Provide. Jehovah Jireh. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By uh, by myself I have sworn this is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this thing and you have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies and all nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. Abraham went back to his young men and they got up and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham settled in Beersheba. Let's pray over it. Father God, I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for your word. I just pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would be thick here this morning as your word is uh, taught, God. I pray that it would be your words and not my own as we walk through this passage, God. Lord, I pray that as we're walking through this series, What's in a Name, we would be, we would be aware of your character, God, that we wouldn't just leave it here on Sundays, Lord, but that we, we would come away knowing more about you. That's why we're here, Lord, that we would experience you, but also that we would know more about who you are. I pray that we would take it with us and apply it as we go throughout our week. God, you're good. We love you and praise you. Amen. <clears throat> so as we go into Genesis, we get in right here, verse, uh, verse 1, after these things... God tested Abraham. Well, let's, let's just talk about this for just a second because there's a lot of backstory going on, right? If you're, if you're in English class and it's like, because of this, and you go into it, you have to jump back, right? Ethan knows. Okay, so it says, after these things, after what things? Well, this is the culmination of, of Abraham's life, right? After these things kind of lets us know that all of Abraham's faith journey is leading up to this. This is part, this is kind of a pinnacle, right? After all of these things. So after what things? Well, it's it's been a whole life. It's been a life of some disappointments, right? Abraham desperately wanted a son, but he and his wife Sarah couldn't have one. It it, it had been a life with some hope because God came to Abraham and he said, Hey, I'm going to give you a son, and because you're faithful to me, not only will you have a son, but it will let there be a great nation and it will come out of this, right? Even still some more disappointment and some hard times because that son didn't come for a couple of more decades. And even still, while God is, is directing Abraham, Abraham is journeying from here and there, never really having a place to call home. He's kind of letting some things go, maybe some things that would have um, accelerated him socially, right? He's not as successful as he could have been because he's following God as he directs. But even still, eventually Isaac comes and there's joy there. Brian talked about it last week when he was talking about Isaac. He said that his name meant he laughs, right? And, and Brian and I kind of argued a little bit about it this week. And, and I think that one reason that, that, that it is, yes, because Sarah and Abraham both laugh, but he brought such joy to Abraham. And in particular, as we're coming into this place that we're talking about today, Abraham is in a very good spot, Right? Abraham is in a really good spot. He's kind of in a spot of peace. Like I said, Abraham had been traveling. He had been journeying, and he kind of was just chilling. We, we see in uh, chapter 21 that he had settled in the land of the Philistines, right? 
He planted a tree at the end of verse 21. Abraham's getting old. When you get old, you like to settle. And when you like to settle, what do you do? You garden. So Abraham has it good, right? He's gardening. He's, he's settling in the land of the Philistines, right? If you look at where he is, they think that he was probably somewhere on the coast there. So just get a mental picture as we go into Genesis chapter 22, okay? Abraham's there. Maybe he's on the beach in the shade under this tamarisk tree, right? Sarah's next to him. They're just chilling. Child of promise is playing in the waves, right? Just hanging out, having a good time. And then, at this time, while things are going well for Abraham, it says that God came to test him. Why is this? Why, why is it that God comes to test now? Right, and maybe you're maybe you kind of get this, and I, and I hope you see that as we're going through this, we're talking about our Isaacs today. We're talking about the way that God has provided in our life. Why is it that when things are going well, things are looking up? Maybe you planted a tree, maybe you're gardening. Why is it that God comes to test then? And this is our first question that we're asking this morning: Is why is God testing Abraham now? And I want to take very careful. I want to pay very careful attention to the words here. It says in verse 1, after these things, after everything that we just talked about, Abraham's whole faith journey, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, right? We could, we could, I could do a whole sermon on that, on the fact that Abraham is that quick to answer. Abraham, huh, hey, here I am, right? Hey, Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love. Pay very close attention here, okay? This is really important. The language here really slows down in verse 2 from everything that's been going on in Genesis up to this point. If, if you recall, creation, right? Creation is kind of a big event in history. It takes place in one chapter. It takes place in one chapter, right? Ah, oh, there was dark and there was light and I spun it around and there was water at the end, right? It was good. Everything that goes on here between Abraham, Isaac, and God takes place in one chapter two, and you'll see that the words really slow down, and that's very important. It's very important because he's very, um, he's very much so highlighting these words here, even in verse two. Take your son, the Lord said, your only son, Isaac, your joy, your laughter, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Why is it that he's coming to question him now? Why is he coming to test Abraham now? Well, I think it's for a couple of things. So my note takers, two, one, two. First is that God loves us. Why, why does he come to test us when things are going well? The first is that he loves us. Pretty simple, pretty quick to take notes on. Second, because he loves us, he wants what is best for us. And he knows that what is best for us is him. And it's like, okay, yeah, we get that. But, but think about it in the case of Abraham. He's talking about his son here. And, and he's saying, Abraham, I love you. And because I love you, I want what is best for you. And, and you see, God knows that when we fall in love with created things, it's, it's not only detrimental to us, but it destroys us. When we replace created things with ultimate things, it has the potential to destroy us, right? It's, it's kind of like this. I, I'm looking forward to the holidays. Alex and I were talking about this on the way back from Corinth the other day. I'm looking forward to the holidays because I love board games and I smash at Monopoly. Any of the kids can tell you I kill at Monopoly, all right? I love Monopoly. I love to play Monopoly. But if somewhere in the holiday season I start substituting yellow $100 bills for green ones, 
my love for Monopoly is really going to get in the way of Caitlin and mine's marriage, right? She's a teacher. I'm a youth pastor slash seminary student. That's not going to work, and because I really love Monopoly, is causing a problem, right? Think about it this way, okay? I, I read an article the other day. It was about a football player at a local school, right? Loved football. Was very good at football. Had colleges looking at him, but he had a heart condition, right? If, if you're the parent of that player, what do you do? Do you allow him to continue to play football because he loves football? No. It not only could be detrimental to him, it could destroy him because of this heart condition. Is football a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. Is loving your son a bad thing if you're Abraham? No, you're supposed to love your son. But God realizes, God realizes that Abraham has only loved two things before. He really loves God. And now he's given him the gift of Isaac. He really loves Isaac. And he needs to know that he is the ultimate. He has not made this created son, this created thing, the ultimate goal, right? So whenever we do this, whenever we put created things in ultimate place of prominence where God belongs, what does God do? He has two options. One, he can, he can destroy it. Or two, he topples it over to where it's not in that place of prominence anymore. And we see it in the light that it's supposed to be. And we also see God in the light that he's supposed to be. We see where he is. Why is he testing him here? I, I really love this passage. And Brian will make fun of me because he says youth pastors only teach out of James. Um, but in James 1... It says, Consider it great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, but endurance must do its complete work so that you may be complete and mature, lacking nothing. When God is talking to Abraham here, he's brought him through all of this. He's brought him through a hundred years' worth of life. He's given him his son, and he says, Look, I know you love your son, and I've made promises to you. I've made a covenant with you about your son. But the thing is, I need you to be complete. I need you to be mature, and I need you to be lacking nothing so that I can bless you later on. So as we go forward with this question, why is God testing Abraham? Why is God testing us? I think we should probably ask ourselves, right? I'm going to get a little nosy. What is in that place of prominence in our lives? Even if it's not a bad thing, what is in that place of prominence in our lives? Students, is it your talents? Is it your GPA? Is it that, man, you can really crush a tuba? Right? Is, 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 it, that, is it that you're super smart? Is it your financial situation? Is it who you are as a parent? There's nothing wrong with you saying, man, I just want to be a great mom. But when being a mom comes in the place of being a follower of Christ... It's a problem. Is that I just, I just want to be successful so I can provide for my family? Is it that I just want to be the best bass fisherman I can be? There's nothing wrong with fishing for bass. I wish I could do it. But when it comes in that place, it's a problem. What is in the place of prominence in our lives? What, what gives you your identity? What makes you feel like you have worth? And if that thing is not Jesus Christ, then there's an issue. It's kind of a side point, but it's where we're at. And so as we're walking through this, we see, I'll read it one more time. After these things, God tested Abraham, and he said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So how does Abraham respond? How does Abraham respond? How would you respond? Right? I would probably be like, okay, God, 
Um, I know you, you are God and you are love, and because I know you love people, you don't want me to uh, kill people. Um, and so I must have not heard you right. So I'm just going to carry on about my business, right? You ever, you ever backtrack your prayers like that? Like, oh, God, I know this about you, and so I'm just not going to do what you told me to do, right? That's not what Abraham does. This is, it's, he responds immediately in verse 3. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. This is almost like he's not just obeying, but he obeys with, so immediately that it's kind of eerie. Like, it kind of makes me mad when I'm reading the passage. I'm like, Abraham, not only are you cool with killing your son, but you got like a head start on the day for it. This is weird, right? So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took with him his two young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place of God that he had told him about. And right here, I'm kind of like, what? when I'm reading this, Brian gave me this passage to read to preach on, I'm honestly a little frustrated about how quickly he is doing this. I'm like, God, it's crazy that you want him to sacrifice his son. And Abraham, you're crazy for listening to him. Y'all give me the wheel so I can drive, because I don't trust either one of you guys right now. But Abraham does, and he travels for three days. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Why is it that Abraham is able to respond with such obedience, such immediate obedience? I think it's for a couple of things. And the first is this. Abraham has seen God's track record in his life, right? And this is something that I was, I, was, I was sharing with my Connect group last week. This is something that God has kind of been pounding in on me lately. Abraham, when God gives him a direction, he's able to be immediately obedient because he knows that God has a track record in his life. And that's something that God has been testing me about. Hey, God, or Austin, I need you to do this. And I'm like, God, I don't really want to do that. And he's like, why wouldn't you trust me with this? You've seen me get you through things before. I have a track record in your life. It's not like I'm asking you to have blind faith in me because you know the history. You know how I've saved you before. You know how I've provided for you before. And it's the exact same in Abraham's life. Because when God tells Abraham, hey, I need you to sacrifice your son, Abraham is like, well, he's done everything I've asked him to up to this point. He hasn't failed me yet, right? So I guess what he's, he's going to do it again. And, and I'm thinking, as he's traveling for three days, what is Abraham thinking about? He gets up early in the morning on the first day, gets on his donkey, throws the wood on the donkey, and they take off. What is he thinking about for three days as he travels up this mountain as he goes to prepare to kill his son? In Hebrews chapter 11, it tells us a little bit about what Abraham was thinking. Oops, sorry. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promise and he was offering his unique son, the one had been that had been said about, your seed will be traced through Isaac. He's basically saying, hey, this is, this is the same son of the covenant, right? And in verse 19 it says, he considered God to be able to even raise someone from the dead, and as an illustration, he received him back. So, so what the author of Hebrews is telling us is that while Moses has packed up the donkeys, he's thrown the wood on, he's thrown, he's thrown the knife in, he's got his two guys to come and help carry it all up there. As he's making this trek up the mountain for three days, Moses is thinking, God's told me that he's the son of promise. God's told me he's going to give me a son that a, you know, many nations will come out of. 
He's also told me to kill him. I guess God's going to resurrect him, right? Which is kind of weird because there hasn't been a resurrection in Scripture up to this point, right? But Moses is saying, God has been faithful up to this point. God has given me a track record of his faithfulness. He's given me the son that he promised to me. He's told me to kill him, so I guess he's going to have to resurrect him. Short point of application before I go on. What has God shown you in the past? What has he gotten you through in the past? What has he gotten you through to give you your Isaacs? I think about the way that I've been blessed. You know, I've, I've been blessed in lots of ways, but I think about the ways that God has shown his faithfulness to me to give me the things that I now have that I get to, I get to say, well, that's, that's why I am what I am. What has God gotten you through, and are you recalling it instantly? I, I really, really love that Abraham in verse 3 gets up early. And I think that that's a big deal. I love that Abraham reacts immediately, that he's immediately obedient. I think that there's a lesson in that. Because on Abraham's mind, every morning is his laughter, like Brian said last week. Is this child, is Isaac. His son is right there. God has shown him every day how he has provided for him. And so when he calls on Abraham to do something big, it's immediate. Because he sees Isaac every day. So just think with me for just a second before we go on. How has God provided for you in the past? And because he's provided for us in such big ways, why do we continue to question him? You know, I, I, if you ask the kids, I use this analogy constantly because I love them. I love to watch documentaries on Navy SEALs. I don't know why. It's probably because I will never have the physique to do what they do, and that's okay. But I love to watch documentaries on Navy SEALs. And a while back, I was watching a documentary, and they were, they were showing them how to do this stuff, and they were following a group as they were going through training. And at one point, they're laying over a pool, and they fill their mask, their diving mask, with water. And so essentially, they're teaching them how to get the water out of their mask once they're underwater, like if, if it breaks and gets through. So they're going on the side of this pool, they put these masks on filled with water, and they say, just relax and let the water go down your nasal cavity and your stomach, and then you'll be able to breathe afterwards. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, that sounds terrible, right? And so there are three guys there they're filming, and, I, and I, I don't think I'll ever forget this. It's kind of crazy. And the two guys on the side, as soon as the water comes through, they freak out, right? The water comes in their nasal passage, and they kind of like freak out, and like they vomit. It's terrible. And so now all of them are laying in their vomit because they threw up. But the one guy in the middle does what they're supposed to do. He lets it go through, and then he breathes through his, through his mask in the pool. And so they're talking to him afterwards, and they're like, why didn't you freak out like the other guys? And he's like, I don't understand why they asked me to do what they're asking me to do. Half the time in this training, I'm just following orders, but I like it because I know they're not wasting my time. I know that eventually I will be in a situation where I need to know how to clear that mask and not throw up and die, right? He says, I know these guys aren't wasting my time and they're giving me skills that I will need to survive later on in combat. And I love that. I love that picture because I think that's exactly what is going on here. Abraham has been following God's orders for years, waiting on a promise to come. The promise finally comes and God says, give it to me. I need it. I need to make sure that I'm still in the place of prominence in your life. And Abraham has been trained just like these Navy SEALs to follow God's orders immediately and to trust them even when he doesn't understand why. 
Are we in the same place? I think there have probably been times in my life where I'm in the same place. But I don't know that I am. I don't know that I am. And so as, as we're going forward, I, I, I want to just kind of keep reading the passage. But in a second, we're going to get to a few points of, of benefit, how we can benefit by God testing us in these ways. I'm going to keep reading, though. In verse 5, it says, Then Abraham said to the young man, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. You see that he's planning on them both coming back. He's planning on Isaac being resurrected when he comes. In verse 6, Abraham took the wood from the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hands, he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked together. Then Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham, and said, My father, here I am, my son. Isaac said, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac is not that dumb. They're going up there, and he's like, we don't, we're missing a key component to this, right? Verse 8, Abraham answered, uh, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told them about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, most conservative scholars will say that Isaac was somewhere between 13 and 20, 25 right here. And, and that's, I think that that's kind of interesting because, you know, one, he's carrying the wood, so he has to be old enough to carry the wood up there. But two, he's old enough to get away from a 100-year-old man if he really wanted to, right? So that tells us that Isaac is, Isaac is on board with this. He's trusting his father just like Abraham is trusting his father that this is all going to be okay. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, here I am, just as before. And he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. So as we go into this last, this last portion, and it's going to be the longest portion, if you're taking notes, how does this testing benefit us? And we're going to go into three ways that God's testing benefits us. Because I think that we can all look at this story, we can all look at this account and look at Abraham and say, okay, there have been times where God has tested me, and it's not always in the best time, right? So how does his testing benefit us? Number one, when we trust God with everything, we get to watch him provide. In verse 13, it says, Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt, uh, sacrifice in the place of his son. And Abraham named this place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. I love, that, I love that Abraham got to come to this conclusion about who God is because he followed through on it, right? When we trust God with everything, we get to watch God provide. So as you're thinking about the ways that God has provided for you, right? Maybe it's where you live. Maybe it's your house. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's a job that you didn't really deserve. Maybe it's a child. Maybe you didn't think that you would get to have another child. Maybe, maybe you look at your child and, and, and you've, you've adopted them. Oh, I have lots of friends here that have got to adopt your, your children, right? Think of the way that God has provided through you through ways that you maybe didn't understand or really didn't get to, but through faith you've gotten there. When you get to watch God provide, it makes the test worth it. The things that we know about God, the, the ways that we look at God come through are going through that trial and trusting in him. Abraham would not have come to this conclusion of Jehovah-Jireh. That place wouldn't have been called Jehovah-Jireh. God provides if he hadn't walked through the test with him. Secondly, after this testing, we're in a place where we can handle his blessings, right? 
The, the blessings come, and, and Abraham had been promised this covenant from the beginning. He said, hey, I'm going to give you a son, and, and he's going to be the father, you're going to be the father of many nations, right? Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have uh, sworn, this is the Lord's declaration, because you have done these things and you have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offsprings as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. This, is, this, is, um, this should be ringing a bell. He's made this promise to Abraham before. But what he's telling us is, what, I, what I'm getting out of this is, hey, because you've gone through this, because I know that you are in, you're in a, a mindset where God is in this place of prominence, now you are ready to have these blessings given to you, right? He had promised it before, but he wasn't ready for the blessings out of it until he had gone through this. And so I, I want you to think, are, is there anything that we are missing out on because we haven't been faithful to follow God's instructions? And, and, and that's a question for us personally. Maybe there are blessings that you're missing out on. I'm not necessarily talking monetarily, so don't get in that mindset. But are there blessings that we personally are missing out on because we are not willing to follow through on God's instructions? Maybe that's a question for Riverbend. Are there blessings that we may be missing out on as a church because we're not following through on God's instructions? Do we have faith in God to give us direction, vision, to give our dollars? Are there blessings that we are missing out on because we have not followed through with this? I feel like some of us are working so hard to get where we're going when God is sitting there with the way we're not turning towards it. Lastly, and, and, and this is the big one, this is the one that's kind of been rocking my week all week. When we come to the backside of his testing, he gets a deeper understanding of God. And I never put this together when I'm reading through this passage, but I think this is huge. In Psalm 25, it says, The secrets of the Lord are for those who fear him, and he will make known to them his covenant. Right? Read this last part with me. It says, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous um, as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of the enemies, verse 18, and all of the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you've obeyed my command. It, it, it's really cool. In Galatians 3, we, we see that Abraham right here is getting whispered to in, the ear of God, uh, by, in his ear by God, Right? In Galatians 3.16, it says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. It doesn't say, and to his seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one, to your seed. He who is the Christ. So what, what we need to get from this is, because Abraham followed through on what God had told him to do, because he was so willing to obey, because he was so, so ready to obey and put his son on the altar, here, in Genesis 22... God whispers into his ear the plan, the, the, the overall plan, the biggest plan, the plan through all of it, right? The plan to fix our human problem. He whispers into his ear and says, hey, this is what's going on because you're obedient to me. I'm not only going to give you this son and let him be spared, and I'm not only going to let him have kids, but eventually I'm going to send my son, and it's going to come through this. And because of that, we all get to enjoy that because of Abraham's obedience, how cool is that? Jesus spoke about this uh, in John. 
you know, he's, he's talking to the Pharisees, he's talking to the scribes, and he's kind of going at them. It says, if I glorify myself, Jesus answered the scribes, my glory is nothing. My father, you say about him, he is our God, and he is the one who glorifies me. Verse 55 in that, you've never known him, but I know him. If you were to say, I don't know him, I would be a liar, but I do not know him. This is it in 56. Your father Abraham was overjoyed that he would know my day. He saw it and rejoiced. So we see this outcry here in verse 18. Abraham went back to his young man, and they got up and they went to Beersheba. Abraham is rejoicing on the mountain before he goes down. Why? Not only because his son has been spared, but because he sees the plan. He he sees what's going on. God whispered into his ear the gospel, and this is huge. In Genesis, and Abraham got to know all about that. Before I close, before we, we, we go into this, There's something really special about Mount Moriah. And this, this is what I was speaking of that kind of blows my mind. You know, Mount Moriah, where they were standing, where he was going to sacrifice his son, was only mentioned in one other spot. Mount Moriah was mentioned in 2 Chronicles, verse 3. And, and we're told that Mount Moriah is the place where Solomon uh, intended to build the temple, and, and he eventually built the temple there. And the temple would have been in Jerusalem, right? The temple would have been where the Jewish people would have come to worship. They would, they would call them to worship actually with a ram's horn, um, kind of in symbolizing how God provided for Abraham with this ram. And so I, I can't read through this. I can't read through him being on Mount Moriah outside of Jerusalem, about to kill his son as God had told him to, being spared without thinking of how God has provided for us. And if you've kind of been struggling, maybe you've been struggling through this whole thing, well, I don't, I'm trying to think of the ways that God has provided for me. If you're a believer here this morning, I think that this is such a clear point to the gospel, right? And this is such a clear point for us to, this is such a clear point for us to worship about. Worship him because he's worthy of his name, like Alex and the band sang up here earlier, is because, yes, he spared Isaac, but in the same way, he spared us. And I can only imagine that God, as he's looking down at Abraham about to, about to kill his son, like he instructed, said, okay, hang on. I see that I'm in a place of prominence, but only one person is going to slay their son here, and it's going to be the son, right? And so years later, thousands of years later, we see Jesus on, a mount, or on uh, the Mount of Olives getting ready to be crucified, and God is watching his son as he is about to be slain in a similar way. And outside Jerusalem, he was crucified. Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son, but God didn't didn't let him. God was willing, even in Genesis, to sacrifice his son for us, though. And that went through. And so if you're struggling to think of ways that God has provided for you, think of that. This is what I've been thinking about all week. The great ways that he provided for us outside Jerusalem, right? Right? It's such a cool picture of that. And, and, and as I'm getting ready for the week, I'm looking at Alex. Uh, actually, I wasn't looking at Alex's set list. I have the gift of prophecy, so I know. But the song that we're about to sing, right, there, there's a line in there that always kind of, it gets me, right? It always gets me. And it says, Jesus, you're still enough, right? Do it again. I believe you can do it. I've seen you do it. Do it again. But Jesus, you're still enough. And, and as we go into this time of worship before, and I wanted to leave a little bit of time before we went to eat, as we go into a time of thanks this next week, 
Think about the ways that God has provided for us. Think about the ways that God has provided for your family. Think about the ways that God has provided for you eternally. And as we're worshiping, think about, is Jesus still enough? In your day-to-day life, not on Sunday, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, do you proclaim that Jesus is still enough? Do you proclaim that he is Jehovah Jireh, the one that has provided, and he's the one that's getting the glory for all of it? As Alex and the band come up to lead us in a time of worship that I'm very excited about, I I would challenge you just think about that. I would challenge you to think about the role that he plays in your life daily, and although he has provided for you eternally, have you trusted him to provide for your day-to-day? Have you given him your passion? Have you given him the thing that maybe you don't want to that you feel like gives you your identity? And if you haven't, I would, I would tell you this is a great time to do that. It's a great time to do that. If you don't know Jesus, I would love to tell you about him. So please come up here and talk to me. But if you do know him, I would, I would encourage you just to worship him for providing for us now. To go into a time this week of thanking him not only for your family, but for what he's done for us ultimately. Use this time to question whether you put him in that place of prominence or if you have something else there. And ask him, ask him to provide for you if you have not Father God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the obedience of your, your man, Abraham, God. I pray that we would be as quick to obey. Lord, your word says that you, you want to provide for us, not only materially, God, even though you, you have been so good to us, God, but you, you have provided for us in the ultimate way. Lord, you, you have given us your son. And in each day that I start not worshiping for you, worshiping you for that is, is a morning wasted, God. You've been so good to me, Lord. I just pray that everyone here would know your grace in that way, God. Lord, that they they would know your provision in that way, that you are Jehovah Jireh, Lord. And for those that do know you, God, I would just pray that they would be so excited, so grateful for the way that you have provided for them, God. I pray that we would be quick to obedience because we know that you have a track record of faithfulness, as a church, Riverbend would be a place where your work is done because you have been good to us. We don't have to fear. We don't, we don't have to fear for money. Lord, you provide. We have just been called to do what you have told us to do. God, you're so good. As they lead, if, if you need someone to pray with, I would love to pray with you, but I would, I would just extend an offer to pray with your families. Pray at the front, pray in your seat. Take this time.